Once just a concept in science fiction, connected cars have become reality, with more and more vehicles with internet connectivity joining the roads each year. Ultimately, manufacturers want to provide us with fully autonomous self-driving cars, but while connected vehicles are supposed to bring benefits to drivers, there are also potential risks if cybersecurity isn't managed properly. So how do we keep internet connected vehicles safe from cyber risks? I'm Danny Palmer, this is ZDNet Security Update, and with me to discuss the security challenges posed by connected vehicles is Adam Bolton, Chief Technology Officer at BlackBerry. Thanks for joining me, Adam. So what's the current state of connected vehicle technology and what cybersecurity challenges does it bring? Um, but a lot of the benefits are really, um, you know, they're, they're pretty clear um, in terms of, you know, this should be improved safety, improved efficiency. And a lot of the data is backing that up and showing that vehicles that are in even a level three state of autonomy actually have a significant reduction on the, you know, the types of collisions or incidences, incidents that are actually happening as well. So safety is the primary factor, um, but you know, efficiency, of course, comes along with this because this is not just applied to general road vehicles. This is, of course, sp spanning multiple industries you know, with um, uh, trucks. Um, so, and it's going to be used in other technologies as well. So it's not just going to be automotive. This is, these fundamentals, this approach, these barriers to actually get over will of course apply to other industries, for example, maritime and aviation as well. And with these vehicles being connected to the internet, that's going to bring additional challenges as well when it comes to cybersecurity. It seems uh, as it stands, we already have enough challenges uh, securing computers and Internet of Things devices. When the device that has to be secured is a vehicle, which as you say, it could ultimately have to make a decision on uh, safety of people. How do you even start um, securing uh, this type of vehicle? And are there problems that uh, manufacturers are finding in the process of doing this? So this is something that I personally work on very closely with my team and have done for a number of years now. And uh, really to your point, you know, what we are talking about, how these are defined, these are safety critical systems or cyber physical systems, depending which term you like to use. Um, and we are talking about the impact to life or limb. Where many people are familiar with, you know, IT-based systems, we've classified them as security-critical systems. They would just house data, but they won't physically harm you. They don't have actuators in. They don't have the, these moving parts. Now, this is really where the main challenge has come in. You have safety engineering and we have security engineering. Both need to be applied here for these types of systems. You know, we have. Everything from, you would see a safety critical system, we've got the moving part, it's very clear. Everyone knows from a vehicle, the impact that can have on life. And now combining this internet connectivity, this data, this usage, PII, all these aspects into it, it becomes also a security critical system. Now, what is particularly complicated about doing that for and um, so consumer-based devices, but bearing in mind, many of these problems have been solved 
but they are kept within a particular environment or context. So think maybe a medical machine. We don't make these readily available. These are safety critical systems, same sorts of challenges. They can be confined to certain environments. So we take both these engineering challenges and then you give it to a consumer. It widens the attack surface. It now introduces all these security vulnerabilities Many actually that have just been you know, uh, historically dealt with traditional IT issues like updating the vehicle. And the big problem about the engineering challenges, the issues of taking safety and security, is that, well, firstly, they, they're not orthogonal concerns. They overlap very nicely in many areas. We're talking about quality, quality of engineering. However, there are edge cases to this. So security can add a complexity to a system. You could be adding things like non-functional requirements or hardening, you harden the system from attack. That sort of goes against these fundamental principles and safety about really simplicity and performance and repeatability. So there's this fine balance to be had between the two engineering disciplines and really trying to work out exactly where that is to try and satisf satisfy these engineering conditions. I suppose that's the thing because uh, you mentioned applying security patches. Mm -hmm. Lots of consumers just don't apply security patches to their, their, their smartphones, their laptops, their computers. What's going to happen uh, if people aren't applying uh, security patches to vehicles or to put it another way, how can manufacturers encourage people to apply these updates to, to cars? And this is an area that hasn't been, I'd say, particularly well-defined or, or seen yet. So, for example, um, you, you know, you can take some of the very popular um, uh, vehicles today, which are autonomous, which are connected, and you can drive them without the latest update being applied. Even though the vehicle is saying there's an update that needs to be applied, you can still operate that vehicle on the road today without the update. So I think this is where regulation is going to have to enforce this type of behavior, this user-driven user behavior or this maturity. Um, and the, I, th I think the main issue with the updates um, and there is, a, there is regulation on this with UNECI WP29, which we may go into later, is that what type of update is it? Is it a critical update? When does it need to be applied? How does that um, inconvenience the user? Obviously, you don't want to apply an update and be forced to apply an update, maybe when you're, say, a service station. But you, know, you need to be somewhere for an important meeting or maybe there's an emergency. That is about on par with the denial of service of your vehicle. So there are these unusual you know, states now that we are getting into because this is, of course, a new technology. We have, we're not familiar with this as a society. We're familiar with this more than safety critical systems like mobile phones and you know, desktops and laptops. And that inconvenience is certainly not on par um, you know, with, with the likes of uh, a vehicle. So I think that a lot of it will have to uh, be driven by regulation. Maybe it could impact insurance, for example. So the insurer may say, if you have um, an accident and you didn't apply the latest update, maybe your insurance is invalidated. 
these are changes in the system, not just from a technology standpoint, you know, everything from, you know, policy and legal requirements to even operating these machines. So what are some examples of uh, security vulnerabilities that have been found in vehicles which have needed this sort of update applied to them in order to uh, uh, fix them? So many of them are still um, in the forms of, say, uh, traditional vulnerabilities that you may see on a mobile smartphone. Um, so, you know, I, I think a nice comparison is that people would have been, uh, you know, people would have seen the um, things about unlocking smartphones without, um, you know, by, by leveraging a vulnerability um, and not actually doing it in the way that it was actually designed. So essentially a bypass. Well, these have existed for vehicles as well to, you know, assist in the traditional crime of theft of the vehicle. So, you know, these things aren't just keyless entry, just these pieces of functionality have again been compromised and vulnerabilities in those. So you see these traditional vulnerabilities which have existed and of course they, they still apply. The wider concern is that the attack surface of a vehicle, um, even what we have today and what is being designed in the future is huge. It's, it's unbelievably different than what you know, anyone will be familiar with and of course what is being designed in the future. And as you can imagine, with an increased attack surface and complexity, because this whole range of attacks. So, you know, I've given an example there of a traditional one with a keyless entry system to say something more severe of uh, overtaking a fleet. These are network connected vehicles to centralized systems. It is perfectly plausible that an entire fleet can be compromised and essentially control the connectivity, the capability is there within a vehicle. And there is the opportunity for these types of remote compromises, which is the most critical concern with these vehicles. And then you have something in between, um, really around just personal data. So you think about your driving data, your driver behavior, your personal information. And what's um, interesting with this type of data, and we've seen it applied, to the medical industry in the US is that they have PII and um, private healthcare you know, information, so PHI, uh, sorry, personal um, healthcare information. So they even apply different criteria to medical devices. I think the, the thing that remains to be seen now is are we going to see um, you know, a legislation and requirements around uh, a personal driving data? Is it going to be a sort of PDI equivalent or an automotive PAI? Um, because those are, those concerns are there as well. So everything that is really there today on mobile phones and with you know, your standard you know, desktop systems are going to apply. And now we are connecting that to the, you know, the safety aspect, the actual movement of a machine. It's the movement aspect, which often is the focus of this sort of conversation, because the idea of a, an attacker being able to remotely control a vehicle and use that for doing physical damage in the world, it is scary, but it sometimes feels that, uh, as you mentioned, the data aspect of this is sometimes overlooked because not only is there lots of uh, personal information on a vehicle, which can identify people and you know, give away their location, um, name, address, all sorts of personal information. If that car is connected to a Wi-Fi network, say 
a corporate Wi-Fi network in the car park of a corporation, could that potentially be a gateway to a corporate data breach? I mean, it's, it, it sounds so weird and sci-fi, but it almost feels if we're on the cusp of that sort of thing happening, if it hasn't happened already. No, 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 and that's very real. That is absolutely very real, and um, it is there today, that ability to pivot from one machine into a network. It's really uh, not necessarily that different from um, you know, having a corporate-issued laptop and that concern and with VPN connectivity. And it's that concern whether it's a pivot into, say, the, uh, the immediate network that's connected over to Wi-Fi or the wider network that it's actually connected to for its critical functionality for fleet management. You know, there's multiple network connections to multiple services offering different functionality and different monitoring um, and that has actually happened in the past um, with a very large uh, OEM and they um, it was actually seen that there was an opportunity to compromise the fleet by reverse engineering the vehicle look at that connectivity and that ability to pivot back in to the infrastructure and find the vulnerabilities that the, the, the um, that the vehicles are actually talking to, it's communicating with. You know, I, I think people need to become familiar with this, that it's really not worlds apart from this traditional connectivity that you have with you know, your corporate machines and just other internet connected devices. So what needs to be done to ensure the security of connected vehicles? Uh, do you know, different parties need to come together here? Manufacturers, uh, security companies and government if legislations are needed as part of this? Uh, and that's, that's right, and that, that is a huge question in terms of what needs to be done um, because it requires changes across the board. It's really significant. We're not talking about you know, single engineering challenges here. Um, many of these sort of engineering challenges have been solved. Um, a lot of it will come down to the, you know, the, the, the policy and support from government. And the key one that has come out at the moment is the UNECI WP29, the first cybersecurity regulation that we've seen of this kind. Um, you know, these regulatory requirements, um, they're very extensive. Um, that's something we work on very closely and work with automotive OEMs to provide them with that readiness assessment and that assurance. So from my experience, um, and the main focus I have is very much on the technical and engineering side. So I don't, I don't work on you know, policy or, or the legal aspect to it. Um, it is about um, really understanding what is on that vehicle. And the reason that is so significant is because of the nature of the automotive industry. It is very different than other um, industries on building these types of devices, um, mostly because of legacy contracts, because it wasn't the, um, the traditional sort of expertise of an automotive OEM to be a software developer. That wasn't that wasn't the speciality, you know, even 10 years ago. So what is very different about this industry is that the software supply chain is very closed. It's the distribution of compiled software and binaries from your suppliers. 
you know, you don't get access to source code. You don't have those deeper relationships. And we're talking thousands of software suppliers. So again, because of the complexity and the size of this system, again, that makes it a very unique challenge. But the fact it's actually closed, and then in addition to that, that this is not, you know, it doesn't have the legacy contracts. It wasn't the foundation of the business. So have this multi-tiered challenges to even just working out what is on, in the vehicle. And by that, I just, I just mean the software components to just provide a list and say, what is in the infotainment system? And that's, that, that's the place where we specialize because if you don't understand what is in the vehicle and the technology stack, what are you defending against? You know, it's very difficult to secure something when, you know, if you don't know what's there. So this ability to enumerate it all in the technology and know what to monitor for, for and the expertise and even the hardware bill of materials. What chipsets are we using? You know, what, which chipsets are you know, these applications for and the percentages? People have heard of silicon-based uh, you know, vulnerabilities like um, um, uh, Ghost, for example, and Meltdown, and Spectre. These still apply to these vehicles. So, um, but the reason this is now more complex is that there are like 120 ECUs in a vehicle. So you've got these electronic control units. Now, it was very nice to deal with the likes of Spectre when you had, a, say, a single desktop or just a phone. Just you know, generally one CPU, great. Okay, but now we've got 120 different chipsets across different models and different applications. So the, 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 the key challenge to us, and even what I believe is to be the foundation of having an effective uh, WP29 assessment is to have this understanding of what is in the vehicle. And we simply refer to it as sort of the, the ingredients of the vehicle. You know, like this nutrition label and this food breakdown. What are the components of the, the sandwich or this meal? This same principle has to be applied to begin working out some of these fundamental challenges. And what should motorists uh, know or be aware of in order to help them stay as secure as possible if their vehicle had uh, some sort of internet connectivity? I think it does require a, a level of training and understanding of the vehicle. And partly I speak of that from personal experience. I have a level three, three and a half. Um, it'd be sort of classed as, a, as an autonomous vehicle. And it's really understanding the behavior of it and when to apply updates and how to effectively use it. Remembering that it is a, it is a tool it's a capability that's there now, and it, it does require to know its limitations, um, you know, when to apply um, like the self-driving capability. So it, it does, I think, firstly, it requires a good, a good self-awareness of what this technology is. So I often see confusion and people think, oh, great, I'll never have a collision again. No, that's not what this is you have to understand what this tool is and what it is capable of um and you've, you've got to look out for those behaviors i'd say first and foremost is when you're operating these vehicles i would still drive it as if it is a level zero capability you need to be very aware you need to be very careful because a lot of this is new technology 
you know, I, it hasn't been applied very heavily and consistently across the industry. That's why we're still seeing OEMs propose, you know, these capabilities in the future. You know, uh, it's, this is not ubiquitous technology. Um, and I think staying on top of the, the vehicle updates, you know, educating yourself on them, knowing when to apply them. Um, for example, some can take hours to apply an update. So it's knowing when to do it in the right circumstances. So I'd say a lot of reading around and sort of education on this stuff. Um, you know, it's not equivalent to just booting up a, a new TV and just working your way around it. The impact is you know, potentially much more significant. So I'd say a good, you know, confident understanding of what, what this is um, and this sort of good hygiene and approach to be able to use it. Some really great advice, Adam. Thanks for joining me. It's been a fascinating discussion. And for more information on, on how you can keep all your connected uh, devices safe, including your car, uh, be sure to keep reading ZDNet and subscribe to the ZDNet YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Thank you.